mention. So, a little background, in 2014, as some of you may know, the Russians decided to annex Crimea. This was in response to the Euromaidan protests that occurred uh, after Viktor Yanukovych, who was, for all intents and purposes, a Russian puppet, the leader of Ukraine, uh, opted against going into an association agreement with the EU, which a majority of the Ukrainians wanted. Um, once he did that, he was trying to pivot toward Putin. At the time, Putin is pretty dead set on trying to create uh, the Eurasian Economic Union, which is a supranational entity uh, that basically would span Vladivostok to Eastern Europe, and it would see Moscow sitting at the head of this this new entity. It's a it's kind of a new age form of rebuilding the Russian Empire with Putin as himself in charge. Um, Ukraine was essential to this plan for. Centuries, Ukraine was always considered the breadbasket of the old Russian Empire and the Soviet Union. And uh, once it was removed from Russia's control after the Cold War, uh, the Russians were content to let it be independent so long as it remained in its sphere of influence. But with the ascension agreement, or rather the attempt to uh, ascend into the EU, uh, Russia was threatened by this. Um, when Yanukovych was deposed, the Russians decided to invade uh, Russian, ethnic Russian dominated Crimea. And so they were targeting parts of Ukraine that they knew they could probably win over. Um, and in response, the West decided to do a sanctions regime because obviously kinetic retaliation in the military realm, the fear was that obviously we'd be in a shooting war with the Russians, which Nobody wants. Um, so the sanctions made sense on paper. It was something that I think I understand why we did it. However, it is harming European, to a degree, European economies. It's also antagonizing Russia even more than it has. And it's serving to isolate Russia away diplomatically, um, which is obviously a threat particularly to Eastern European countries. So my question is, if Russia is to blame, why are we making Europe pay? Um, when we're talking about sanctions, normally it's one of the tools of statecraft. And we, when we talk about statecraft and grand strategy, you want to always have ends, ways, and means in, in the back of your head. That's why I provided the uh, definitions of statecraft and strategy. The skillful management of state affairs and uh, a, a policy or action designed to achieve a major overall aim. What are our aims with the sanctions? We've, we have a history of, of doing sanctions in this country with mixed results, to say the least. In Iraq, we had for a decade in the 1990s, after Desert Storm, applied a pretty stringent uh, sanctions regime. And the intention was to do regime change without war. Didn't work. It actually ended up empowering the regime, and it ended up hurting the very innocent Iraqis that we were trying to help. Uh, North Korea is another one that we've had long-running sanctions against, and the aim was to have them not develop nuclear arms, and that seems to have been at least a wash. And Iran, most recently, we had a dual purpose with the, with the sanctions, which was to effect regime change and at the same time prevent WMD. And what ended up happening in 2015 was the previous administration ended up actually moving closer to the Iranian position with the executive agreement than uh, the other way around. So I, I, I am skeptical of sanctions. And especially when I'm not really sure what we're trying to do with the sanctions directed against Russia right now. Are we trying to regime change in Russia? I don't think that's necessarily something we should be wanting because I don't know what comes after Putin. Uh, and also, are we trying to get them out of Ukraine? Because so far we've had the sanctions on since 2014. There's no indication that they're wavering. Uh, in fact, they seem to be doubling down on their investment in Ukraine. Uh, Crimea, rather. So I, I, I am of the mind that sanctions generally don't work. Some quick facts here to keep in mind. Uh, Russia is Europe's third largest trading partner overall. It varies for the independent countries within the EU, but generally speaking, the European Union's third largest trading partner is Russia. Um, for Russia, obviously, EU is number one. Um, and in 2013, a billion euros a day were traded back and forth uh, between the Europe, Europe and Russia, 
and the trade overall got to as high as 300 billion euros. Now, I understand the overall European economy is, I think, 16 trillion dollars, so obviously 300 billion euros is not that big of a deal for the EU, but if you look specifically, particularly at the countries closest to Russia and in southern Europe as well, the, the numbers start to change, and you start to worry, are we having undue deleterious effects on the Eastern Europeans and Southern Europeans, particularly at a time when Europe's already under strain politically. I don't think adding on to economic woes or economic hardships is necessarily the right way to go if we're trying to keep political stability throughout Europe. Uh, another issue for EU is energy security. Uh, Russia provides roughly half of Europe's energy needs. I have a breakdown here. Solid fuels 29%, crude is 30.4%, natural gas, which is the big one, 37.5%. In antagonizing Russia with the sanctions, which by the way, I'm all for standing up to Russia, very much for that. I just, again, I'm not sure if the sanctions are the best route. Um, in doing the sanctions, we are obviously having a huge negative impact on the Russian economy. That's driving them toward greater hostility in the more kinetic realm. Uh, and also it's prompting them to potentially threaten uh, Europe's energy uh, supply. We've seen this happen before in Georgia. When they invaded Georgia, they didn't want America to retaliate. They didn't know if America was going to retaliate under George W. Bush. So Putin phoned up Sarkozy and uh, uh, Angela Merkel and said, hey, uh, you guys depend on us for natural gas. It's getting pretty cold in Europe this time of year. We're going to start making your lives hell unless you, you, you start uh, getting the Americans to, to slow down on any response to us. And um, so here's some notes on the, the, the effects on Russia. But basically, uh, we're pushing Russia economically, and it is having a lot of damage to the Russians. Unfortunately, though, it is prompting them to get even more entrenched and, and more immovable in their position. So if the point of the sanctions is to get Russia to move, it's not working. Uh, support for the sanctions, um, Eastern Europe in particular, almost half of Eastern European countries, do not support the sanctions. They believe that it is having deleterious impacts on their economy, 48%. Um, and I think we should listen to them because in specific industries it is impacting them. Uh, in about a year ago, the Financial Times ran a very interesting story on how the sanctions regime on Russia was actually having very negative impacts on uh, Poland's agricultural sector, specifically, if you can believe it, apple farmers. And um, the fact of the matter is, Russians, I guess, like apples. And a lot of people in Poland stand to lose apple farmers at least, stand to lose their livelihoods if we continue the sanctions as they have been going on, which is fortunate, and I don't think it's necessarily the best path forward. Um, Citigroup did an interesting study about a year and a half ago. It was Peter, uh, I can never say his last name, Kalis. And basically, the reason that Poland is being disproportionately threatened by blowback from the sanctions economically in specific industries is the fact that Poland is such a, an important trading partner for Germany, uh, for uh, Russia, sorry. Um, but also, something to think about, Poland's also a very important trading partner with Germany. And Germany has a lot of ties with Russia. And so, as we're increasing the sanctions and maintaining sanctions on Russia, it's weakening the whole system in Europe, I think. Um, the major concerns for Europe, obviously it's an economic union, it's a customs union, but it's economic prosperity and energy security. And they're related. And ever since the 08 recession, the European system, the iniquities within the, within the structure of the EU, the financial system at least within the EU, have been laid bare. And I personally think that we should be trying to have Europe have as many opportunities to expand its ability to trade and do business in new markets like Russia. Uh, that I think it will stabilize the political system that's going on, all the instability going on there right now. Uh, furthermore, part of having a modern economy is having easy access to cheap energy sources. We are complicating that by consistently pressuring Russia economically with the sanctions. 
because eventually they're going to start snapping back, and one of the areas that they will in the non-kinetic realm will be energy. Um, these five countries are openly opposed to sanctions. Uh, Greece and Italy, if you look at the geography of, of Europe right now, the Southern Europeans have been the, the ones that have do, been doing the most or threatened the economic union the most with their burdensome debt. Uh, the Northern Europeans feel that they're on the hook for bailing out Greece in particular, but the Southern Europeans in general. Um, and so the notion that we're going to deny economic access or, or opportunity to increase the uh, economic economies of Greece and Italy, I think is troublesome. Italy in particular has a huge luxury market that has been effectively damaged uh, because of the fact that they've lost the ability to conduct trade with uh, Russia because the sanctions specifically point out luxury goods and impose high costs on doing business in that area. And also the three, uh, Hungary, Bulgaria, Czech Republic. I find this interesting because they're on the front lines, if you will, in terms of Russian aggression. They are some of the countries that could theoretically be most threatened by Russian revanchism. And yet, they are still opposed to uh, the, the sanctions imposed on Russia. It's likely because they realize that given the geographic proximity of Russia and the fact that we are not at war with Russia, the, the best way to stabilize their economies and to grow their markets is to do business with Russia. In terms of disunion, there's a lot of talk about disunion right now within the EU, and I, all I say is ask the Germans. Since Brexit in particular, Germany is the, probably the, the kind of powerhouse driving the EU. Um, and to Germany's credit, the government has been consistent in their application of the sanctions, despite the fact that the German business community is very much opposed to the sanctions regime. In fact, in the case of Siemens, uh, they have basically sued their way through the sanctions to get sweetheart deals with Russian industry. Um, so if you're a big mega corporation, you probably can get through the sanctions, but for a lot of the other companies in Europe, they don't have those opportunities per se. A particular, a particular note is the fact that even though the Merkel government has been insistent on diversifying Germany's energy portfolio away from natural gas, they're, they're very much dependent on natural gas from Russia, the Germans are, the fact is, and they've done this since 2008, they've really been trying. The fact is, if you look at this, the graph on the right, in 2015, for instance, there was an explosion in demand for Russian natural gas. Why? Because it's nearby, it's abundant, and it's cheap. Uh, we've been talking about trying to get uh, American uh, uh, natural gas and other energy sources online to sell to Europe, but at the end of the day, we're talking about higher transportation costs, so it's just easier still to get it from Russia. Something about Europe's economy, we're seeing the political instability with these populist movements. Now, yes, it's a response because they don't like the immigration policies per se. They don't like the, the cultural shifts going on in Europe, the demographic shifts, certainly. But there's also an unspoken thing. As I noted earlier, EU's uh, system was called into question in a way by 08. It laid bare a lot of the iniquities within the European economic system. Now, Europe has bounced back, but if you look at the general unemployment rate for overall unemployment in Europe, it's well above 10%. And if you talk to any economist worth their salt, they'll tell you that a good economy in the modern, at least a good modern economy, 5% unemployment or less. Europe has consistently, even in the boom times, had a higher degree of unemployment than the rest of the Western world, particularly America. Uh, in terms of long-term growth expectations for the Euro area versus the U.S., uh, yes, the EU overall has positive growth projections. However, they don't really get above 1.5%. I would remind everyone that in the U.S., we basically for the last eight years set our hair on fire because we could barely touch 2% growth. Europe, with a $16 trillion economy, which is right behind our economy in terms of size, is lucky if they're going to get to 1.5% growth. So, what I'm trying to figure out is how do we stabilize the political system throughout Europe? And one of the ways I think we can do that is by having new markets available to come online. Russia is an abundant land with a lot of resources, with a lot of markets to be tapped. I don't think sanctioning Russia is necessarily the best use of uh, state power in this case. 
Uh, Lilia Shevstova, I, she's, I, I like her a lot. She, she, write, uh, she wrote a 10-part series at the American Interests. She's very much in favor of the sanctions. But even she concedes, as you see by this quote, that the sanctions regime will not change Putin's behavior, it will not change the nature of the regime, and it will not remove the Russians from Ukraine. So again, I don't know what we're doing with the sanctions. I don't know if anybody sat down and, and gamed out a, you know, a solution here that doesn't involve keeping them on until Russia moves out of Ukraine. It's not going to happen. Russia has proven that they're not, they don't care. I think the Russians do not care about their economy right now crashing. They're trying to make a point. They want this Eurasian Economic Union, and the only way they can do that, they believe, is by annexing Crimea, or at least getting a significant part of Ukraine in their sphere of influence permanently. So I just, it seems to me that by denying economic potential to Europe, with the sanctions, we are vastly complicating the attempt to stabilize the European political system because, as you all know, economic growth usually leads to a bit of political stability. Um, like I, I just went over this, it's a self-defeating cycle. The sanctions are it's in, in intensifying this this cycle of of political instability, which is unfortunate. And personally, I am a Eurosceptic. I have been for, for some time. Um, I just think it's too big to succeed. But in terms of, from the American perspective, I don't think we should be hoping for the EU to collapse anytime soon. I think we should, we should try to navigate it for a soft landing, whether it's the, in 2010, 2011, Germany, was, the Nordic countries were talking about splitting the EU into a northern EU zone and a southern EU zone. Whether it's something like that, or you know, I don't know, but I just don't think that a, we should be piling on the way that we are with the sanctions. Again, the sanctions aren't going to be the thing that kills the EU, but it is not helping, and it is vastly complicating the attempt to stabilize the political system in Europe, and it's pushing Russia farther away. In terms of breaking Russia, there's the it has the sanctions have worked insofar as they have damaged the Russian economy significantly. But the question is, to what end? The, either Russia will collapse, because their economy will be inviolable at that point, uh, or, as we've seen in, in Russian history, the concept of silnaya ruka, which is a strong hand. In times of political and economic distress, oddly enough, Russians have at times rallied around the flag. Um, in fact, in the case of Catherine the Great, Pukachev's rebellion was actually a conservative nationalist rebellion against what they viewed as Catherine being too liberal. Uh, we had all the years of Stalin in control, and there's real, no real attempt to overthrow him. There, is, there are cases of Russia gravitating toward the strong, the image of a strong man, a strong leader, in the face of, of hardship abroad. So, you know, that's a bad scenario in my view, too, is empowering Putin at home. Or we could see a regime change in, in Russia, but what, what does that entail? You know, are we looking at an even you know, more scary, even scarier nationalist rising to power? Could it be, given the demographic shifts going on in Russia, we could see uh, an Islamic fundamentalist take over because they have a huge and growing problem with Islamic fundamentalism in Russia that is not very often talked about in the press. Um, so basically, also, as the West pushes Russia with these economic sanctions, we risk pushing Russia so far out of our orbit that they go running into the Chinese arms, which... You know, Halford Mackinder and Nicholas Spikeman and these great geostrategists of the 19th and 20th centuries used to caution that the absolute worst scenario for a Western power would be to see a, an alliance, a, a political, military, economic alliance arise to dominate Eurasia, because Eurasia is obviously a huge landmass, a lot of resources, a lot of people. And we, as, a, as an American, we do not want to see that happening. So punish Russia, yes. But don't push them out of our orbit, and certainly don't harm uh, our European friends in this precarious time for them. Uh, I write, as Kevin noticed, noted, I write for a newer publication called American Greatness. Uh, one of my colleagues is the great professor, Angelo Cotavilla. Uh, he wrote, I think, the definitive, at least in terms of shorter articles, the definitive article on the extent of Russia's military threat to the West and their, their, their diplomatic threat to the West. 
and I think that he nailed it right on the he nailed the, he hit it right on the head. Uh, Putin has played his weak hand masterfully, whereas we have played our we in the West have played our uh, stronger hand incredibly incompetently. And so when when we talk about the threat of Russia, Russia's threat is not economic per se. I understand again why we went the economic route with the sanctions. I think the better solution would have been to reinvigorate our deterrence, to focus on the military and political threat that Russia poses to, the, to Europe as well as the overall West, as opposed to focusing on the economy. Because with the interlinked economies, the you know, globalized economy the way it is, there will invariably be damage done to our friends, which is frankly unethical. Uh, I propose a real resistance to Russia. And as I said, it talks about reinvigorating the America and European deterrence. I, I argue that pretty much since the end of the Cold War, certainly over the last eight years, we've allowed our deterrence, our deterrence to wither on the vine. And so one of the things that we can do is to build up sub-regional defense blocks, such as the Visegrad Battle Group and the Nordic Battle Group. The Visegrad Battle Group are the, mostly the Eastern European countries, and the Nordic battle groups are the Nordic countries led mostly by Sweden. These are the two regions of Europe that are most threatened by any Russian irredentist aim. And so if we can empower those groups, give them logistical support, military support, do joint operations, empower the sub-regional blocks, we can save a lot of time and a lot of, a lot of trouble by building up those deterrent uh, aspects. Double time the production of the proposed missile defense system for Poland. George W. Bush wanted to do it before it could get off the ground, if you're part of the pun. Uh, Obama administration cut it because they wanted to try to do the reset, which did not work. And also, a more radical solution that I happen to think is probably one of the best solutions is just give Poland a, 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 a nascent uh, nuclear arsenal. Give them the launch codes because Russia knows our metrics. They understand our metrics for launching, and they feel very comfortable with us that we're not going to ever even threaten to launch. Poland, on the other hand, is a wild card, at least in the Russian mind. And so if we give Poland the ability to deter, pardon me, nuclear, deter with nuclear weapons, we may actually be able to stop further Russian aggression. Economic sanctions, I think, are actually going to compel Russia to do more uh, dastardly deeds in the non-economic realms. Uh, and, and in terms of Northern Europe, the Nordic battle groups are most, battle group is most threatened with the uh, Northern Sea, the North Atlantic. Russia's advancing in the Arctic, and they're starting to pivot and go into the Northern European territories. 2014, I'm sure you guys remember the, the big Swedish sub-hunt that was going on. And so I argue that we should increase the U.S. naval presence in the, in the north, and we should also help to build up the Swedish Navy, which has been withering on the vine also, maybe even get the British to, to keep their beautiful new aircraft carrier a little bit closer to home uh, to help with the deterrence at, the, at sea. And also, lastly, in terms of eastern Ukraine, which is likely the next part of Ukraine that Putin would potentially take over because it's the next largest group of ethnic Russians, Increase the number of heavy U.S. heavy infantry in the Baltics. We've started to, but not very much. We mostly, over the last year and a half, have increased the size of light infantry, airborne ranger types. The problem is Russia has the largest tank force in the world right now, and they've been piling on with the tanks at the border of Ukraine. In fact, Rand Corporation did a war game scenario uh, last year that indicated that, yes, eventually the West could repel a Russian invasion of eastern Ukraine, but in the opening foray, we would lose a lot of guys because our light infantry would basically be cut off and surrounded by the quicker movie, moving uh, Russian heavy infantry. By stabilizing the economic situation with Russia, we not only stabilize the political situation in Europe and help our Eastern European and Southern European friends, but we also, um, we could potentially, the hope would be, drive Putin to focus on his east. He's a neo-Eurasianist. The neo-Eurasianists believe that Russia exists atop and apart from Europe and Asia both. Uh, Alexander Dugin, who's kind of the father of this ideology and, and has been considered Putin's brain, um, he is very much into calling Russia a civilization state. It's not just a nation state. It's a civilization state. 
And the Russian leadership is very much interested in trying to reinvigorate its Far East. So if we can, and, and, and part of this is they have to stabilize their Western and Southern periphery. So if we can stabilize the economic situation uh, by removing or reducing the sanctions and then building up our military deterrence, it will prevent the Russians from trying any more daring uh, behavior in, in Europe. And it may actually prompt them to focus their energies elsewhere. Uh, and obviously in the East, they're not going to be able to do, to do much. But Putin does seem very much interested in trying to expand his, his hold on the Russian Far East. So that could actually work in our favor. Uh, there's my contact information. Basically, my concern is the sanctions regime is deleteriously impacting Eastern European in particular and Southern European economies, and it's having an overall negative impact on political stability in Europe at a time when we absolutely need political stability in Europe. It's the only way we maintain a unified front against Russia. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a sine qua non for U.S. foreign policy in Europe and Eurasia. Uh, my contact information, you can always email me, thewikertreport at gmail.com. I do speaking engagements. I, I, I give lectures. Uh, I also will gladly respond to any questions. We don't cover it here. Weikertreport.com. Uh, I also write for American Greatness, Brandon, at Brandon Weikert Twitter, The Weikert Report Facebook. You can follow me on YouTube. I started doing video blogs. I, I've never really intended to be in front of the camera, though, so it's kind of a growing thing. And uh, Brandon Weikert, LinkedIn. I welcome questions and fire, fire away. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I arrived. That's fine. And you may have covered the topic of my question, but um, I've done a little bit of business with uh, people in uh, Russia in the past, and one guy told me a story that I've been looking for a Russian expert to comment on, explain to me. His commentary sort of made three points. First, he was a business guy who probably had worked for the KGB or something. Sure. They all probably did at one yeah, point. Exactly. So the, 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 he made three points. First, in the last uh, 800 years, we have been invaded from Europe six times. Right. Swedes, the Poles, the French, yep. the Germans, the Turks, everybody yep. knows that everybody, that they, that they want. And to they fear happens. it happening again. So, oh, that was yeah. very, that's his first thing. Yes. And, and uh, every school child in Russia knows that yes. uh, Hitler sent to Stalin a message, the next time we'll finish the job. Yeah. So they, the, his first part was that the issue is not if Europe will invade us again. It's when. The question is when. Right. That was his first point. The second point was we achieved global greatness when we created a buffer. What right. we need is a buffer that protects yes. us from European invasion. And when that happens, we put men in space, men on the moon, we did everything. That's what it took. All we need is that buffer, and then we could be the greatest nation in history. His third point was, oh, his third point was, we got screwed. Uh, we <laughs> promised uh, Germany would never align with Hungary and all these other countries right. to invade us again. And now we got tricked and schnookered, and now you're at our doorstep. So his, that was his perspective. Sure. You're an expert on this, please. So uh, I know that's what the Russians are taught, and that's what they believe. Uh, this was like 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, no, but it's, it's true. It's consistent. This is what they believe. This yeah. is what they teach their kids. I don't think there's any real objective on the part of the West to invade Russia. Uh, second of all, say it was the Americans, by the way. no, no, I know, but I, I'm just saying Germans, the French, the Poles. Yeah, the, the, well, Swedes look at look at the military. Out. No, and I, what I would say is look at the look at the military situation of Germany and France. And with all due respect to my German and French friends, they're not going to be invading anyone. I mean, they're they're struggling in Afghanistan. They, you know, they, they they're not going to be invading anybody anytime soon. If you look at the demographic shifts, which is one of the reasons why these populist movements are so successful in Europe as of late. It's because of the fact that there are these massive demographic shifts going on within the, in the, uh, the population centers there. But to the second point um, about building a buffer, that has always been, ever since the Mongolian invasions, that has always been an objective of Russia. Um, 
that's why they they've spread the way they have because they say it's part of self-defense. It's, it's you know forward defense. Um, that's fine, and that's why that's why I was saying we should probably stabilize relations by basically building up our defenses on the east in Eastern Europe physically with the increases of troops, with the increases of potentially giving nukes to Poland, but then also stabilizing the economic relationship between Russia and Europe. That way it, it allows the Russians to understand that we've drawn a line in the sand, a red line if you will, and don't cross it and we will, we will do very, we'd love to do business with you. And um, real quickly to your third point in terms of Russia getting hosed, um, I would say in the 90s, Yes, it's true, America probably could have done more to integrate them into the world system. I don't think that was because we hate Russia. I think it's just because, as Mara Kodakiewicz would say, we can sometimes be incompetent and short-sighted. So, yeah. What makes you believe that lifting sanctions on um, Russian economy would in any way stop Russia from being aggressive in the Ukraine? I'm sorry, would, would anyway what? What makes you believe that lifting economic sanctions right. on Russia would make Russians any less belligerent in right. the Ukraine. Because what I said was, and it has to be commiserate with us increasing our actual physical military presence in the region. It has to be commiserate with us building up, for instance, the Visegrad Battle Group. Uh, that way that we can actually physically, if we put ourselves there, a tripwire, then it will, because the Russians are not listening when we talk no, about no, economic sanctions. I understand we are talking about some buffer here. This means that there is uh, this underlying thought that the people of Ukraine uh, are somehow obliged to be the, the middle grounds or the potential battlegrounds between Russia and um, the other part of Europe, because obviously Americans have no military presence in the Ukraine. Well, not yet. That's why I'm saying we should increase. So you suggest that you should lift the economic sanctions but enter militarily into the Ukraine? Yes, I think we should be defending our position there. It's not working. The economic sanctions aren't working. So They're not the leaving Ukraine. So, so the, the point is to prevent, the point is to prevent the expansion of Russia from taking eastern Ukraine, from taking other parts of Ukraine. So in the long run you're suggesting American military intervention I am suggesting not only that, I'm suggesting that we beef up the indigenous capabilities to defend. Economic sanctions have not deterred Russia. They haven't. In fact, one of the reasons that Vladimir Putin, I was talking to a gentleman, one of the reasons that Vladimir Putin, one of his thoughts, was by going into Syria, he was going to be able to complicate American foreign policy in the Middle East to such a point that when it came time to negotiating a settlement for Ukraine, he would offer drawing down in Syria to get a favorable position for himself in Ukraine. Now, that's why, by the way, when he pulled out troops about a few months ago, five, six months ago, one of the reasons was because he was trying to signal that, hey, I'm open to settling Ukraine. But this was during the Obama administration, and the Obama administration rightly said, absolutely not. They said, absolutely not. You have to pull out of Ukraine, regardless of what you do in Syria. So my point is, economic sanctions are not working. It's denying opportunity to a lot of Eastern European countries and Southern European countries. The economic lack of economic opportunity or the economic slowdown in Europe is feeding into the breakup of Europe. And therefore, I don't think that we should be trying to encourage the breakup of Europe. Rather, we should be trying to soften the blow. We should be trying to stand up to Russia, short of war, not go, the, the sanctions aren't working. Because so. they are not strict enough. Because they're, they're pretty strict. The problem is that... The, the, the number of European countries are not following the sanctions. That's the problem. The French are this is, this is my, the but, but this is my point. This is the strictest sanctions that we've had. Out of all the sanctions regimes, the sanctions against Russia are one of the strictest that we've had. And it's still not enough to stop them. Because you're right, as I said earlier, companies like Siemens are able to evade the sanctions, so to go around it. Maybe, so why do we even have them? Maybe America should work on their Western allies in Europe to be more effective in the sanctions. That gets back to America. energy security. That gets back to energy security. The, the, the Germans and the French, they need Russian energy. They are not going to, they will only go so far. And to be fair to the Germans, they have been, they have done the best they can under increasing pressure from their business community to enforce the sanctions, and it's still not enough. So America is diversifying.
find their energy provisions and we're trying but it's going to it's still going to be costlier and it's still going to be costlier than getting it from Russia because you're having to transport the sources from America across the ocean it's always more expensive for transportation costs than it is to get across from a gas line pipeline so, so it's not true that the sanctions are not effective they are just not there what, I'm sorry what do, you, what do you mean I mean practically a number of countries is going around the sanctions so uh, a couple of corporations are, yes, larger corporations yeah, are trying, so yeah. It, it doesn't really mean that the sanctions don't work. It means the enforcement of the sanctions doesn't work. Okay, well, fine, but it still means that the sanctions are not effective. It's not effective. How are we going to enforce it? How are we going to enforce it? That, that leads us to a more important question. How uh, the cooperation between America and the Western allies of America works in face of a danger such as Ukraine. Because if we cannot uh, work together as allies in terms of enforcing the sanctions, why do you believe we can work as allies in military terms? Because I'm talking about the Visegrad, I'm talking about sub-regional battle groups. That's why I didn't say NATO. I said sub-regional battle groups because as we've seen, NATO is no longer as good at deterrence as it used to be, although they are starting to increase their, their spending on defense again. Uh, the sub-regional battle groups are the key, though. Visegrad and Nordic often have to be the basis of any attempt to block further Russian aggression. But why do you think the Germans will be willing to get involved? The Visegrad battle group doesn't include Germany. It includes the, the countries directly threatened by the Russians, which are Eastern Europe and the Nordic battle groups and the Nordic states. Are Germans a part of NATO, though? Yes. So, they're, they, as a part of NATO, they are now in uh, Lithuania, or, I believe. They okay. are the NATO forces in Lithuania. Right. So, if we, if we increase the NATO troops' presence in that region, the Germans will be involved. But how do you... Why I'm talking about increasing well? American presence, not necessarily through NATO, independent of. So, you, will, you see Americans are working on the side of NATO? Working out, I, I don't, what do, you, what do you mean? You are thinking about increasing American If NATO or? will not expand its presence in the region, in that region, we're going to have to do it ourselves, is what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying, is that okay. NATO is no longer reliable. I mean, look at where we had to twist our arms to get just 2% GDP. I'm not saying get rid of NATO, I'm just saying let's use some other avenues to affect the immediate changes that we need. You, you have your hand up? Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I was really enjoying that, and I, I hope we can go back to that at some point. Um, I just had a question going back to the, um, asking specifically about countries that have been negatively impacted sure. by sanctions against Russia. Do you have sort of the, maybe a few of the top ones and any... Um, well, sure, yeah. I, I listed the... Specifically, uh, specifically how they've been impacted, uh, whether it's GDP or employment rate or just trade figures. Right, so towards the employment rate, we're talking about um, potential growth that is being negatively impacted. Not, there's, there's no new opportunity there by denying these countries the ability to do business, specifically these countries that have come out openly opposed to the sanctions. And the reason is because they are the ones that are most closely going to do business with the Russians. And Poland as well, in specific industries, are going to have direct negative uh, impacts on specific industries, like I mentioned, the agricultural sector. Um, in terms of um, Western Europe, they're increasingly dependent on Russian energy exports. And so you're talking about complicating their ability to get cheaper uh, uh, natural gas and oil from Russia. Can you quantify some more of the impacts? I know you had a, a couple of the charts, but are there can you elaborate on what the impacts have been so far for for these countries? Well, yeah, they've been they have lost of have loss of opportunity to grow their their lower their unemployment rate and to have a slightly better growth rate than this. One of the reasons why is because they they their third largest trading partner has been uh, basically denied to them in in large areas or at least complicated their ability to do business. Do you have an average? of like the percentage impact on employment, for example, or? No, no, I don't. No. Uh, no. But you're talking about denying, again, you're talking about denying growth, and you're denying growth. So just generally? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You got a question? No, no, you. Okay, yeah. good. Um, 
my question, uh, just kind of to understand your position, because right now uh, Europe is still, you know, voting to continue the sanctions. Are you saying that we kind of unilaterally should say, hey, we're done with this, or kind of just, or wouldn't it be better to just let them sure. decide? Or yeah, no. So the last the the last round that they did, I think, was in last summer when they voted to extend another six months. I think it was last summer, maybe. Um, but the Italians, Renzi already came out against it. Um, Greece has already come out against it. That number is increasing. There are it is by no means unanimous within the individual countries in terms of their their, their polities supporting these sanctions. No, by no means unanimous. Uh, it's deeply divided, and that's because of the, the loss of economic potential and potential growth at a precarious time for Europe politically. Um, so yes, they, we 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 could, but it's likely that the EU Commission is going to continue the sanctions regime, irrespective of what many of the members want. Part of that is because I think a lot of the people, um, a lot of the people leading the EU are from Western Europe, and they are more oriented toward the U.S. position, which is fine. Again, I'm not pro-Russia. I just, I, I just don't think that it's having a, a lot of impact if we want to get them out of Ukraine. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm just still, there, I just got two more and then I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Um, trying to understand your deployment of troops to Ukraine, are you saying to go into like Donbass or are you saying just send troops? To I'm trying to understand your position. Increase our position where we have a higher level of heavy infantry. We don't have enough heavy infantry right now. And that right now the Russians are arraying heavy infantry units, the majority of which are heavy infantry units, against any potential defense of Ukraine. So by increasing our position there, we could essentially deter, because the Russians, the Russians are looking for the path of least resistance. Right. So where, where's the line at? That's what I'm trying to understand here. You say across from the Donbass? Yes. The no, they, they, cannot, yeah, okay. they cannot go into eastern Ukraine. That's the bottom okay. line. Okay. No, no taking of eastern Ukraine. And so we position ourselves there. At the same time, we build up the battle groups that I spoke about. Uh, which I think are the path to success, because those are the countries most affected. You know, those are the countries that could actually be invaded, and they have a lot more to lose by a Russian invasion. So, and then if, yeah, go ahead. You know, I just got one more, because I'd, I'd like to hear your perspective on this, because a lot of the charts, it looks like really the um, 2008 crisis caused a lot oh, of yeah. And even no before doubt. the sanctions, it looks like the unemployment rate's high exactly. and the long-term growth. So how much of it is just kind of, you know, because a lot of the Europe, they kind of have stricter labor yeah. laws that cause some of this high unemployment. So I'm kind of curious sure. your perspective. You're 100% correct. On how much of this is due to the sanctions. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. You're 100% correct. The European governments are generally more regulation crazed and centralized. So you're 100% correct that that is certainly having a longer term impact. But what I'm saying is in the near term, we are denying even a modest amount of economic growth with these sanctions, complicating at least the ability to really grow uh, trade between Russia and the particularly Eastern and Southern European countries. But even in 2011, your growth is really low. And, I mean, I well, no, but I know. Oh, I know. But you, anything is better, I think, than 1.25 percent. I mean, yeah. Um, there are, I, I understand why they are, I understand the assumptions, but I feel like they're nevertheless their assumptions that you're presupposing your argument for, and all of it adding up to like a big, a big risk lifting the sanctions. You know, some people say the sanctions are working as a deterrent for, um, against further egress into Eastern Europe. And, and if we lift the economic sanctions, the U.S. and EU sanctions on Russia, what we've seen with Iran is there was no big rush back into Iran. I think we are seeing that international financiers are very um, risk averse, increasing now because of the of the use of sanctions as a tool of statecraft. So just because sanctions are lifted does not mean that there will be a necessarily quick uptick in European growth that would lead to a stabilization of the political scene ahead of key elections. And even even if there is economic growth. What if the electorate in various European countries doesn't attribute it to lifting of sanctions, but to other reasons? You know, um, I don't know that they're connecting. I mean, just just that 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 all of these actions will get the the effect that we imagine. I mean, they could 
they just they, they may not even notice it. That's if so, there is modest growth, they may not notice it in the sure. chaos of the migration. That's, a fair, that's totally fair that. point. Um, what I would say though is I'm trying to find the graph that I had up earlier. Uh, Forty-eight percent, particularly Eastern Europeans, believe that I specifically asked economic sanctions against Russia is it having a positive effect, no effect, or negative effect. Forty-eight percent in EU Eastern European countries say negative percent. Seven percent say positive, and the rest say no effect. So you could, that's a fair point. I, that you're, that's a fair point. I happen to think, though, that if we can bump up through trade some of the economic growth in Europe, we could potentially stabilize a lot of the populist issues going on with these, uh, these, these movements. In, in terms of sanctions as well, um, you are right, there wasn't a huge rush, but there was still, I mean, Italy, I mean, in terms of Iran, there, there was a, a move by many, particularly the countries that I listed that are actually struggling to, to do business, to do these things. But yeah. we haven't seen many major yeah, deals. And, and I think, and I think, and granted, Iran, Russia is not as toxic as Iran right. is, but we are we are growing understanding sanctions, sanctions expert about how impactful one sanction sure. that kind of always gun shy. And and I so this might might not be the the, the, the You might yeah, you, that's that's certainly a, that's that's one way to interpret the data. That's that's certainly true. I, I think though that the sanctions are especially because it's pushing the Russians their economy has been hugely impacted between that and the oil drop, the world price of oil, that has hugely complicated the Russian economy. And it is, I think, making them even more crazy and aggressive on the world stage. Um, you had a question. Yeah, I just wanted to make a couple comments. Um, that that's I agree about the forcing, the pushing, because you know it just for. I mean, if anything, Putin's you know gem that he could say throughout the economic crisis is that Russia didn't wasn't affected right. that much, and that is his prize thing that he keeps telling right. his citizens. So what's happening is he will do anything. If that is gone, I don't know what legacy he thinks that he can leave behind. Is that economy is number one. So what he has done is he's made a huge deal with China. You yes. know that was the first thing. That's why I mentioned you don't right. want to have them right. too close. And so this is what's <laughs> happening now is he's he's being forced. Those are countries don't have sanctions. All you know, you're Asia pretty much. So you see him also making deals with Pakistan. I mean they have a fighter jet <laughs> that they're selling. You know, new fighter jets. They are, they are in with Russia and China, and they are increasing their defense amongst each other, and they have their own things that they're selling, you know. So, and now with Iran, and here we see Syria. So all of that is being strengthened, and they're actually making their own agreements, and they're coming up, and um, now with Iran, you know, and um, Iran is saying, okay, because we bombed Syria, so now they're <laughs> getting ready. So the way that I see it is he's going to go anywhere that he can get these deals. Right. And he's going to strengthen that. And in the meantime, I think he likes the chaos that's happening in Europe. He does. And he's he going to, off of it. And he's going to find a way to use that. I don't know what you know this chess game will entail. But, I mean, it's obvious that he's, going to, he's already strengthened so much with Pakistan and China. Um, and I know that Russia uh, or China and Pakistan are very close, but you know he's kind of like the third wheel, mm -hmm. trying to get in anywhere he can with that. Um, and the other thing is that comment. Um, I guess I didn't. Um, I'd like to hear a little more about uh, the Czech Republic and um, those other the, the Zagrad. Yeah. Um, and I think that you're right that um, they have the most at stake with Romania. Right. And so that would be a natural way that you know we can show our support. I mean, right if you look at to the point earlier, if you look at NATO, and I, you know, Dr. Hodakiewicz speaks about this frequently. Um, you, you're going to have not just Eastern Europeans who are directly affected being deployed. You're going to have Germany. You're going to have the Western European states who may not feel physically threatened the way the Eastern Europeans do. So they're going, as we saw in Afghanistan, they're going to impose extremely restrictive deployment schedules, extremely restrictive ROE, rules of engagement. So I just think that if you look at the sub-regional level, you're really pinpointing the areas that are most directly threatened from the military and political threats that Putin is posing. Uh, and you're still, if, if, we, if, if we lift the sanctions, if we weaken the sanctions, whatever you want to say, it will at least allow for a modicum of stability to exist in the European-Russian dialogue. Any other preguntas? Yeah, I'm going to go here first. 
Yeah. Uh, there was just a comment and a question. Uh, the first the comment, it seems like the countries that have the most to lose if the sanctions regime is more enhanced are the ones that are actually advocating for more enhanced sanctions. You're right. Well, to Paul, you're right. And to, to your point, Poland has been consistent, even though they are being hit by the blowback from this. Um, though they, they have been very consistent that, yeah, we, we want to have the sanctions on. But I think that's also because they don't have faith that the U.S. will do anything more in terms of deterrence than, than what we're doing, which and is not much. That's my question. Is, yeah. it's, you know, there's some discussion about um, what makes the sanctions effective. You need Europe to buy into them as right. well. What kind of hints are we getting from the State Department about maybe changing the sanctions argument? So actually, I, I think that so far, I mean, I know that Rex Tillerson early on in his uh, confirmation hearings, there was some back and forth about whether or not he would support that. I don't see any indication that we're necessarily in the near term giving up on the sanctions regime. Um, so I, in terms of indication of the State Department, I think that they're going to continue doing what we've been doing, which... You know, I, I just personally think is not the most effective way to deter Russian aggression. Um, why do we have to hurt ourselves or potentially hurt ourselves? Right, look, the Russians, look, look when the, the, the Russian military is at its peak operating efficiency that it's been since the last 20 years, but it's compared to, to our military, compared to other militaries in the West, it, it can't hold the candle to. When we, uh, when he invaded, uh, Putin invaded Georgia, the Bush administration's response was to de deploy Georgian warfighters that were operating in Iraq. He put the, Bush put them on American warplanes and deployed them into Georgia, flying right over the Russian lines, because he knew Russia wasn't going to fight. And in fact, the reason that Putin called up Sarkozy and uh, Angela Merkel and used the energy security lever against uh, the West was because he knew that he could split the European-American alliance over uh, military action against Russia. Because he, he, he couldn't be sure if Bush would actually fight back on Georgia physically, because he was afraid. And indeed, while they have modernized, um, the Russian threat is still militarily, we could clean them. We could we can clean their clocks. And so we should put some real skin in the game. and. Talk to them in the language that they understand, the logic of force. Okay, fine, you're going to take Crimea. All right, fine. We're going to draw the line now. We're going to put real hard things, hard power things into the field, and you better not cross that line. Whether we do or not actually respond, I don't think Putin will ever let it get to that, because he's a, he's a brat. He's just, he's just trying to tweak us. I don't think he, he's taking the path of least resistance, which is why I included the Angela, Angela Cotevilla quote. Yes, ma'am. Why would we? Wouldn't, why not? Why wouldn't we just uh, arm the, the Ukrainians? I'm I'm for that. I'm for that. That's I mean that's Instead part. That's part of it. But I, I think the problem is again with deterrence. The largest problem is I don't know if the. I mean it might work. I don't know though if the Russians would be capped because they are putting so many heavy infantry units, and they're they're very specific in what they want. Not necessarily all of Ukraine. It's so far just the Russian speaking parts, and so. You know, that, that, is, that could be, if we could do it on a continuum, that could be like the first thing if that doesn't work. You know. But I think, generally speaking, we should be looking, if we are really serious about deterring Russian aggression, using the logic of force. The Russians aren't comprehending the sanctions. They're not pulling out. They're doubling down. They're getting worse. So, and we're potentially harming our European friends in the process. I just don't think that's the most effective. Uh, yeah. But... But don't you think with there is a risk with the going with a military heavy approach um, that Russia will respond nuclearly? Granted, it's not sure. high, but in their policy, they can Preemptive. use tactical yeah. nukes yes. to. So, so th this all gets very complicated when you're talking about the world's two greatest nuclear sure. powers. I think it's right to be cautious about I, going fine. going down that line because 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 the. The fallout could be species ending. Right, but I, I don't think... Now, but it's an assumption. It's an right, assumption. But, but so is the assumption that he's automatically going to go nuclear if we just start building up but our But the, the our risk is so there. great that when you do, I mean, like, risk... Um, cost-benefit? Yeah, yeah. cost-benefit. It's just different when nuclear is involved. 
It is, but, and, and you're right to be concerned because I, I have long said that Putin, the Russians do have a preemptive nuclear warfare doctrine, but I don't think that us reinforcing areas that are already under our quote-unquote control will be the thing. I think all it will do is prompt him to say the costs are too high for me to engage kinetically, so I'm going to stick with what I have and I'm not going to go any farther, which is, which is the goal. It's stopping the flood, not necessarily... Uh, Sorry, yes. Sorry, I just, um, when you said that, it just made me um, remember there was a CBS interview with NATO commanders. And their number one concern is that it won't be big nukes. It'll be a scenario where they'll move them into an area, you know, and then we'll be forced, you know. So if, I guess the thing is, in that fact, if we don't have a deterrence from them moving some, you know, smaller weapon like that into a region, then that's going to be how they'll try to probe, you know, again. I mean, they could, they already have weapons in the Kalingrad. Like yes. They, they already, yes. they already, but they and, and with their ICBM capability, they right. already hold everybody hostage. It's which is why we should return the favor. Which well, is we why do. We, we have our own ICBM. Right. But I'm and saying in terms our, of our, deploying they, our forces in field, return the favor. Look, they haven't used them yet. They they haven't used them yet. I hate to be that crass, but the, the, his metrics obviously are not the same. Uh, that that what you may be ascribing them to be, yes. What do you think are America's chances to persuade its NATO partners to go military against Russia? If they cannot persuade them to increase well, is, sanctions. Right, which is why I pointed out that we need to build up the battle groups so we have a stopgap. Because I don't think NATO is very reliable right now because of the fact that the Western Europeans are not physically threatened by the. Russian forces. We need to start building up sub-regional battle groups so that we don't always have to say, well, NATO doesn't want to do it, so we can't do it. Um, so, yeah. I'm actually kind of curious on um, any numbers you might have, because like when I look at the question, it's whether economic sanctions are hurting the economy, which I almost think people in favor of sanctions would agree, yes, this hurts the economy yeah. overall. But I wonder how many people believe they're worth it or not. Because I'm actually surprised the numbers are That's that's actually that's that's a really interesting question. Um, I, I like haven't seen any numbers on that, yeah. but I would posit if your question is uh, so. I'm sorry. What was your question again? So I guess my point is like I'm surprised it's not you know like everybody doesn't agree that it has a negative effect on the economy. I guess sure. my point is. How many people say, yeah, I understand it has a negative effect, but, you know, it's worth it to yeah, stop Yeah, well, and, and to, to, to be fair, like I said, the polls who are being affected, they're very much in favor of it. But I, and that's, that's actually a really good question. And, and I, I think the reason they're in favor is because they don't want to leave Russia alone because Russia could turn on them. And they don't think America, at least under the last eight years, even longer though, uh, America will actually commit to defending Poland. Um, or the Eastern Europe in general. And so this was the best thing they could do. So that's an excellent question. I think, though, that number, the negative effect on the economy, 48, it's almost half of people who think that. Um, I just, I, I just, it, just it, it really frosts me that, I, that we're hurting our friends, even if they are for it, we're hurting our friends in trying to defeat our enemies. Yeah, so I'm just saying I'm surprised it's not even higher. Yeah, like that is surprising. But there might be... You know, 75%. Well, I can tell you the business community in Europe is 100% against the sanctions. Yeah, I, I, that's why I'm curious on yeah. those kind of numbers. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, if I, I will find them, and uh, I, I will gladly send you them, um, I'm always available on email if you're ever interested. Uh, do we have time for one more question? Or? Uh, one more question. Okay. Time for one more question. Yes, sir. So you, you may have already touched on this, but I'm just curious as to the data that you have on the support for the sanctions, because I've actually heard another forum that. The United States is the only thing holding it up, and that we were glad that, that the Europeans would. Well, yeah, yeah, no. If the U.S. pulls out anything in Europe, the Europeans are going to, for all, with all due respect, fold. In terms of support, we have elite support, kind of. The, 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 the Germans, as I said, the Germans' government, even though their business community is saying, what the hell are you doing? The, the German government, Angela Merkel, has been very consistent in her support for the sanctions. Um, a lot of the countries, like Poland again, have their political class has been very consistent in their support for the sanctions. But, you know, it, yeah, if America pulls out, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, and that's, that's, yeah. And then the other part of my question is, since you're advocating uh, use of force, 
Well, I'm, 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 I'm advocating introducing for, I'm not advocating preemptive strikes or anything like that. I'm saying, basically, putting, it, putting the onus on the Russians. Right. Well, how do you get the general American populace to go along with that? Because, I mean, the, anything outside of their little community is generally, Oh, I, I, well, I think that we've already shown that, I mean, look at the recent airstrikes or cruise missile strikes in Syria and the Moab deployment, deployment in Afghanistan. I think Americans want to, I think Americans want to stand up uh, and do the right thing. It's just they have to have the leader, firstly, who they trust, and they have to, they have to have an idea that this is in our interest, and I think stopping Russia from annexing any more of Europe is absolutely in our interest, and it will be up to the political people to get that message out there. Well, what, what is your argument? What is your argument to the people that that's, that stopping Russia is in? They our stole interest? our election. <laughs> Which I mean, I don't no, know that no. people No, my 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 argument is simply that uh, if we don't stop them now, if we don't check them now, it will get worse, and we will be embroiled in many more conflicts in dozens of other places, because as we've seen, the Russians went into Syria, they're doing all sorts of things outside of just Ukraine that I think they would not have done had we just stood up to them on the Ukrainian issue. And so it's either, do you want to do you, do you stand up to them here, or do you want to have to go in and deal with them in another part of the world, because they're not going away. So, thank you. Though I hope I hope I I answer some of your questions. And, uh, it was very thought provoking. Well, that was my goal. So, thank you. Credit on behalf of Thank you.